Osiris. Welcome back to The Recovering Catholic. I'm your host, Katie Pruitt. Something I'm fascinated with is how different people access spirituality in completely different ways. Some people access it in a conventional church. For some, it's the feeling of community. And some find spirituality in life's darkest, most painful moments, when they're faced with an ultimatum between growth or continuing down a path of self-destruction. In today's episode, I'm talking to my good friend, Rustin Kelly, who has spoken candidly about his struggle with addiction, both in and outside of his music. He describes these dark moments in his life, not as something to be ashamed of, but as moments of humility and gratitude that have given him a second chance in life to show up as the best version of himself. I've always admired Rustin's honesty, vulnerability, and self-awareness, because he knows talking about weak moments doesn't make you weak. Just the opposite, actually. It makes you brave. I'm down. I'm down to talk about all this. Always. Yeah, man. I mean, I feel like we've, well, we've known each other for like three years and I've been on tour with you and, you know, we've gotten like deep before, but like, I feel like we've never like, I don't know, like really dove in there with like, as far as spirituality and God and life and death, all that, all that shit goes. (laughs) But like, to me, when I listen to your music, it's just kind of like innately like existential. There's something like spiritual about it um, that I can just tell, you know, like it's like a feeling that you give off um, from your music. So I guess that's like kind of what I wanted to dig into today and talk about. Let's Um, dive. Yes. Um, So I guess like starting off, you know, did, does that like existentialism or spirituality in your music does that come from a religious upbringing or like, I don't know, 
doesn't just happen. <laughs> I mean, probably both, but right. I would say like the impetus behind it is definitely, you know, a reflection of my upbringing. There, there are two, two eras I would say of, of um, religious or religiosity in my family. The first was when we lived in the South predominantly and my parents were raised a certain way with certain beliefs and they did the classic thing, which I think everybody does in every culture, which is, you know, take what you've been raised with and then, you know, plant that in your kids because it feels right to you and it feels um, like it's something that they should live their lives by. And that was centered really around religion, about going to church every Sunday, the importance of, uh, you know, uh, I guess, giving your alms to the idea of God. And God was kind of really uh, placed in a religious context in, in my family. And, you know, we read the Bible, we did all of that. You know, I was taught Jesus saves the classic, um, you know, crucifixion story and the importance and symbolism of that. Right. The second era came when my dad's work moved us to Belgium. And the really beautiful thing about Belgium was that it was such a cultural melting pot for a variety of different beliefs, a variety of different religions. Um, and it didn't make my, which I think is a really beautiful thing. It didn't make my parents question their own beliefs, but what it did was take what may have been a narrow understanding and it just burst it wide open. Wow. Yeah. And so cool. they then from then on, it really was a belonging to, yes, this is how we, articulate our um, spirituality through our religious beliefs, but it also doesn't exclude other ways of thinking that and that there's beauty in a variety of different ways to the truth per se in God. And that it was really then instilled in me the most important thing and, and the best way to honor the maker, the source God is to be the best person that you can. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. it's feels, I guess it seems like your family, like you guys kind of went through that cultural shift, like together. Yeah. Um, we did. I, yeah. I think that like myopic view of like only being in that small bubble, I think that myopic view just like limits you in your perspective. Um, so yeah, anytime anyone can get out of where they're from and go meet people from different cultures, like their idea of God and, and the world and everything expands like 10 Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. so cool that you got to experience that. How old were you when you lived in Belgium? Uh, I moved there. My family moved there when I, when I was 17, a uh, really pivotal age you know, for wow, myself. Yeah. I thought I understood everything at that right. point as 17 <laughs> year olds do. Yeah. I thought, you know, I was like dating this girl back home. You know, I thought that was going to be it. Like I had friends. We moved a lot as, as kids. So like, it was the first place, that, you know, we lived in this little suburb called Wyoming, Ohio. And it was the first time that I, you know, I had had stability, um, social stability, um, their stability at home. You know, we, we, I loved the house that we lived in, all that. Like, you know, I went to the swim club. I went to like, I did all this stuff. Mm. And then one day dad was like, hey, all that's going to change. Wow. And at 17. It's so be you were like a 17. senior. Like I was a junior when we here. moved and then okay. I finished high school in Belgium wow. as a senior. And I mean, 
it wasn't just my idea of spirituality that was like broken wide open. It was everything that I knew and believed in. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's kind of, that's had to have been a culture shock, but it seems like it like benefited you in the long run, which is sick. Absolutely. So like, as it pertains, like, I guess just to your music and, and you, I mean, I think those two are very intertwined. Um, like how do you feel like you access god like is it only through music probably not though (laughs) like through your family like is it you know i feel like um or do you think of god as like a literal floating being in the sky or is it more of like a feeling and an instinct i mean i i guess i suppose that you know from a philosophical perspective i can't really say what is you know that is potentially beyond my comprehension my comprehension however i do feel like there's an appealable source now whatever the form of that source may be i think at the time where where man was just like coming out of the caves essentially um to understand that they needed it in some sort of like a folklore understanding and to father was the head of the household, you know, was the right. leader and they needed a leader. And that, that's how it became that in my opinion. Um, but removing all of that and aside from that, I do believe that it's in probably the most natural thing a human can do is to appeal to a sense of source, a sense of positivity, a sense of hope, um, a sense of understanding what hopelessness is and what despair is and what the evil things in the world are only, you know, kind of create the edge around the bigger picture. And God, to me, you know, the maker, the the end all be all of things that exists and permeates within everything and about everything. And that it's, I feel it most um, you know, in times of, of suffering, but like lately where I've felt, you know, in a, in a better place in my life than I've ever been, it's really in a kind of silence in a, a humility. I feel that you feel it most when you humble yourself before what that is, because I feel like everything that I've been given in my life that I believe that it's been given, it filters through me, but I'm lucky that it filters through me because I want to take the perspective of being humble enough to not believe that my ego is responsible for even the successes in my life, you know, personally and professionally. Um, so I feel it in, uh, in moments of triumph because I feel like that's a way that I've honored God per se yeah. is by being grateful for those things and being given a set of unique talents and gifts that um, I feel like my duty on earth is to honor them. And I feel that most, you know, when, uh, when I feel a lot in a line with myself. That's awesome. That was, that was an amazing answer. Um, <laughs> All right. yeah, man, I feel like there's this, like in your music, um, there's this like juxtaposition, like you, there's these moments of like suffering and then also these like insane moments of joy in your songs. And there's yeah. like that yeah. juxtaposition, you feel both, um, and I think that's cool that you said that you like kind of access God a lot of the time in those moments of suffering. Um, mm-hmm. Cause you're kind of like, 
Yeah. Um, those moments of silent and like silence and like pensive thoughts and like kind of, yeah, coming to terms with, I think, I think a song that you do that really well in is brave. Um, mm. I feel like you're, yeah, you're like reflecting on your life in a very honest, almost like in a bird's eye view type of way where you're like yeah. observing like your past and maybe like some mistakes you've made, but also then like realigning and saying, I want to, I want to leave behind a, a good legacy. And like, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I think that song's awesome. <laughs> and I think you think that whole juxtaposition of um, joy and pain really well in your songs. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. I, I believe that that is, I mean, that song in particular is, I think, in a way, when we're most human, we're most susceptible to the presence of spirit, of your own spirituality, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I think that um, when you're honest with yourself, you kind of level your own playing field. And I do believe that God, you know, for lack of better words, is inherently a whisper in your spirit and when you can quiet things and you level the playing field you can understand what your purpose is a little bit better and i feel like the best way to understand your purpose is to be incredibly honest with yourself and say yeah in spite of these things that make me human ultimately right i want to be better right this and you know obviously answer any of these questions however you want but this yeah. one in particular I've sort of always wanted to know like how the process of getting sober kind of has affected your spirituality, just the mm. way you move through the world, you know? Um, yeah. And the way you think about, you know, life and death, because yeah, like, especially in those moments of suffering where you might've like accessed God, I just kind of, yeah, I'm curious. I mean, it's always, God has always been part of the conversation, the internal conversation with myself. I remember it being very present um, in me being able to articulate it to myself and understand it at a really young age. And I think for a while, you know, coming from the religious side of the upbringing where, you, you know, the sin has to be taken care of and you need to be brought to justice. Right. I felt living a good life meant that, um, all my sins were forgiven essentially, but that I couldn't help myself from this one sin, which is, you know, the, um, the struggle of addiction that I've had in my life. And that manifests in a variety of different ways. Um, in this past era of my life, it was drugs and I drugs and, and self doubt, self pity and all of the, the ugly things that shrink us. Um, mm -hmm. And I will never forget, I went to rehab once and it was actually ironically like this Bible beating rehab. It was, it was all that I could afford. And it was out in the middle of the sticks in Magnolia, North Carolina. I mean, I met some of the greatest people ever there that were some of the most broken people, hmm. but the whole, the, we kind of connected on the fact that like to be there, you had to like memorize Bible verses and you had to listen to these like really one-sided sermons about, like I'm talking this, there's one guy that was a uh, <laughs> preacher that he refused to wear sleeves shorter than his elbow. 
in fear of tempting women. <laughs> I was like, first off, bro. Yo, women are not tempted. <laughs> like, yeah, like, uh, first off, okay, so you're calling yourself a religious heartthrob, um, which I'm pretty sure is a worse sin, in my opinion. But, oh, my God. Yeah, uh, that's but it was a stuff like that. Vain. That's a little bit. Yeah, a little vain. I mean, and stuff, it was stuff like that. And it was day in, day out, memorizing this Bible verses as if, you know, the memorization of the word was going to be the thing that was going to keep us away. Right. Um, but what had happened was I saw, and I saw a lot of people, including myself, they took those things that you learn in religion and then religion took the place of addiction. Hmm. Uh, whereas when they felt like the need to sin or whatever, it was like this extra off limits thing, even more so than if you weren't religious. Right. And so I'd see time and time again, like some of these people that I went to rehab with were there their eighth time. And I'm not faulting, you know, giving yourself to the understanding of a higher power for that. I mean, I think some people really need that. Yeah. But what I, what I felt was a flaw was that it taught the rhetoric of that. But when it came to me really connecting with what I understood to be God and the help that I needed from that and the hope I needed from that was in humility and in pain and in suffering. I got on my knees one, one night and I just said, help. And it's like, as if the room disappeared, you know, and that there was this massive sense of warm hope, uh, ability, belief and capacity to do so. And though it took me a while to straighten that path out i'll always remember that that existed and whatever anybody wants to fucking call it doesn't really matter right and that that i believe every single person has the ability to connect with that source and so i got better at connecting with that source and i still try day and day out to do so but with addiction you know, it's, um, it's something that's planted in you that you need to constantly kind of unwater, you know, and let dry out. It's, and it's hard. I mean, I, yeah. I deal with it in a variety of, whether it's nicotine or, you know, uh, fucking cheeseburgers too often. Like <laughs> I have that in me for some reason, but I have seen that like that source of hope can completely blanket it and take the place of addiction. Yeah, that's interesting what you said about like the rhetoric and like, because unless you, yeah, have that moment of humility, that moment of silence and just like reflection um, where you do feel God or whatever you want to call it, um, like repeating those words are kind of just words, you know, like you have to like, there has to be um like, I don't know, a connection to the words or I, and you know, in your song, um, I think you told me this once that that chorus of paratroopers battle cry yeah. was the mantra, um, mm-hmm. the stay behind me, my sweet Lorraine. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you write that in rehab or were you like, yeah. Um, so in that rehab, it was a, uh, manual labor rehab. So we were, you know, getting up at 5am and like just doing work outside, you know, for people's houses, for whitewashing walls, cutting grass, tending the garden, et cetera, constantly outside. And, um, I remember, and then we do like, you know, several jobs in a day and it was just like, 
dog work. It was fucking hard. Wow. And wow. especially to be like, there was no, they had no detox program. It was hand, literally, here's a Bible. Here's Manual a shovel. labor. Oh my God. That's hardcore. Dude. <laughs> yeah. You're going to go sweat it out. I mean, I got ripped, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but just make sure you don't I, wear your sleeves. <laughs> yeah. Too was, high. Was, Cover that about. tattoo up, Rustin. Yeah, exactly. What a <laughs> demonic thing. I'm uh, so tempted right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was during um, one particularly hard day. I don't know why. I just like felt tired in my spirit. And we didn't get lunch that day. And it was like, let's just finish this job. And the sun was setting. And I was so close to being finished. And I wanted to give up. Like, I, I, I pride myself on, I work really hard. I have a good work ethic. But for some reason, this time it was like, I just am so tired inside yeah. and I don't know where it came from, but the lyrics of that chorus came out, you know, towards the last like couple rows of mm. lawn I was mowing and I just kept repeating it to myself and singing it to myself and singing wow. it to myself. And it got me through and a little did I know like that that was going to be you know, pretty much the emphasis that I put on art and what art can do for the create, not just the creative spirit, but your spirit in general, it can, it can make you a better person. Mm -hmm. It can teach you about resilience and hope. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I remember you told me that one time that it was like a mantra you repeated in, in rehab. And I thought that that was like super powerful. And the fact that you sing that song on stage, you know, and repeat that mantra still, like, it's like a, a permanent time capsule of like where you've been and how far you've come, which is a really mm. cool thing. And the, fact that, and the fact that you mentioned TK in the song, it's just great. Yeah. And Abby, you mentioned your family. <laughs> like it's this very, I don't know. I, I love that song so much. Um, Thanks. I loved hearing you play that on tour, like every night in, in 2018. Um, yeah, damn. That's 2018. Fuck. That was 2018, dude. Fucking wild. Yo. That is um, wild. I know. Um, but yeah, great song. And I also, is Lorraine like a person or is this like an archangel or like who? Mm. I'm, I, I've always, because you've actually, I think it's in another song as well. I feel like I heard it yeah. again, yeah. maybe on Shape and Destroy somewhere. Yeah, like there's two names that I use frequently right. as Lorraine and Maria. I mean, Lorraine is tattooed on my arm. Sorry, right. sorry. sorry. <laughs> Cover <I didn't>... that up. <laughs> no um, that's cool so yeah who, I don't, it, what's that symbolism like from, who is that it uh so i don't know if this is like legal like knowledge um or whatever <laughs> but like when i first started like writing songs in a way where i was like you know what like i want to try to get paid to do this it was like 2011 and I've been in jam bands and stuff, but as far as like songwriting, it had always been my focus. And I started getting really serious about songwriting and was like, I know I will make a living doing this. It's just a matter of how, because at mm -hmm. the moment I was, you know, like flopping at my girlfriend's house and then she'd kick me out and then I'd be like, where do I go? Um, and so Curve Records was, uh, they had offered me a publishing deal. And I guess I took that as like, 
well, that means I can just like live in their publishing house. <laughs> and so like one morning, the maintenance guy was there and I was in my van. I'd slept in my van. It was like 6 a.m. And he gets there to the writing house and he's like, he thought, because I'd been there so much, he thought that I worked there. Right. And I didn't know if like maybe the black fingernail polish didn't throw him off or like whatever, but he was just like, Hey, I have an extra key if you need it, if you like to come early. And I was like, for sure. definitely." <laughs> so I lived there for six months and getting to the point, um, that was probably the height of my addiction. And I mean, wouldn't sleep for days. I saw things all the time. And what grounded me was like almost this, belief that there I this name Lorraine kept coming up and then this name Maria kept coming up and I started to typify Lorraine as a way to sing about the struggles that I was going through without explicitly saying drugs or amphetamines mm. or cocaine or whatever and then Maria was like the guiding light and so it's like I made wow. I made it in my spirit here's the thing over here here's the hope that you need um and it opened up myself to feel like if I understood what those were conceptually and put them in name that I would have power either over them or within wow. them. Um, so and Lorraine so, is the is the drug addiction. So that's why you say stay behind me. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, Lorraine, you know, at first it was specifically a way to talk about drugs without talking about drugs. Right. And then then it started to take on a larger shape in other songs where it was I kind of thought of it as like, here's the good witch, here's the bad witch. Yeah. And then like the now angel devil on your shoulder kind of. Right, yeah. right. And now the perspective is, is Lorraine isn't necessarily bad. Lorraine is the embodiment of the chaos that I went through, but I learned the most from that. Mm. And it was the wisdom from there taken by being able to be pulled out by the better side of myself, which I typified in the name Maria. So that's yeah, so good witch, bad witch. Yeah. I'm I'm really happy I asked you about that because I've kind of always wondered like what those mean to you. Um mm -hmm. cause you know, in the song, like they could they could mean anything to any listener. Like totally. Um and I kind of love that I've listened to the music without knowing what they mean, and now I can kind of listen yeah. and and know what they mean. Um, yeah. And, all, and cool. also it was a way to like, from like a craft perspective, it was kind of taking a note out of Adam Duritz's from uh, Counting Crows book. His, he sang a lot of different random female names. And for some reason, I didn't know who he was talking about, or he would name like very specific streets and stuff. And I was like, right. I don't really know what these things are, but for some reason, the fact that it feels so personal to him, felt really personal to me that that's the same and, feeling i get from your songs so oh sad you you sad. yeah that's so cool that you can just like take a piece of of something you admire from some other artists and like yeah and just totally like apply it <laughs> yeah because awesome. it doesn't you don't need to like no one really needs to know all of that backstory but they can feel it when i sing it and they may not know exactly i mean and that comes around to like how I write lyrics in general is that sometimes it's like, I know someone's not going to know exactly what this means, but I know that they're going to feel what I feel when I mean it and I sing it. This is Paratroopers Battle Cry by Rustin Kelly. Feels 
like I'm cursed when the drugs don't work So I bought a statue of Jesus And listened to Abby's old high school demos And smoked a bag of reefer I got bills coming up and debt's still due And I got too much on my mind Stay in the moment, it's always blowing out the windows and into the night Stay behind me, my one sweet Lorraine Stay in the shadow of the tower I love this. I'm happy we're doing this. Um, so yeah, like, same. So as it pertains to like shape and destroy, um, mm-hmm. I think it's like, I don't I clearly catch on to all the, you know, that artist that you always post with all those like cool biblical Im- imagery. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Gustave Ador. Yeah. It's Gustave Ador. Yeah. So is shape and destroy because a lot of a lot of that imagery is like you know from bible stories of destruction you know it's like of you know there and there's a ton of them there's like noah and the flood there's the plagues of egypt there's the sodom and gomorrah in in genesis um yeah and so is that like partly biblical and it's also a personal metaphor for like Mm. how you've like you've shaped your life and then you kind of have to destroy the parts that are bad to like be reborn or is it like is that kind of the idea behind it yeah i would say like as if there was a general motif on the record it would be the angel of death you know whose job is to clear out you know so that a new harvest um can be reaped Mm. and i mean that's like as far as the religious imagery, like I'll always connect to those things for some reason, like whether it's just because it's the way I was brought up or whatever, but I feel something very profound when I look at those images and it's not necessarily in the veracity of the stories as like they happened, but it's like almost maybe they did in another dimension in another time. Like maybe they exist in a variety of different ways. And I think angels in particular you know, the constant, just the, the messenger, the guardian, you know, the ones of destruction, they all served higher purposes. Right. Um, and some of them had to do, you know, in, in angel war, like some of them had to do some pretty dirty work to get the, the spiritual message across. And I felt like that's what needed to happen in my life. I needed to make decisions that were going to affect me for the better for the rest of my life but that were probably going to be hard, the hardest decisions I'd ever make in my life. And so it's like, okay, you can either remain unhappy and like have spurts of joy here and there and risk falling back into the mires of addiction, or 
you can still have some of those things, but be kind of supercharged with your own identity and saying, I want this life. I mm. don't want that life. And so then you have to go in and take the, you know, necessary measures to remove the things that keep you from living that life. Right. Yeah. That feeling of restlessness that kind of like keeps happening and keeps coming back is like one of those like nudges from the ether or whatever, wherever you want yeah, to call totally. it. So like change Absolutely. some shit, like, Hey, yeah. something's wrong. <laughs> Address this. Yeah. 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 Right. No, I think yeah. that those nudges like clearly happen for a reason. Um, yeah. I've been, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been thinking lately, I don't know why that this has recently come up probably because I'm the age that I am, but like the Saturn return, I keep hearing about the Saturn. Oh, return. Yeah. The oh, whole yeah, like, yeah. Oh, like, how old are you? Oh, 27. Oh, you're about to go into your Saturn return or maybe it already happened, but like this, and I've been feeling it. I've been like feeling it. And then suddenly the world or people around me have given it a name, but it is this, like, it's this need to like tear down the structures that I've been like told my whole life. Um, I don't know these like very societal, like, motions that we all feel the need to go to like like buying a house and getting married and all these all these yeah. like things that were like set up that feel like like I don't want to feel like I'm forced to do that just because I'm this age like I would like to right. decide when to do that on my own but anyway totally I, I, I kind of went off track there but, <laughs> no but, no I mean I think it's it's definitely like apt for this conversation I mean right whether you believe in astrology or, or whatever, take it with a grain of salt. The idea of the Saturn return, it's interesting that around age 27 is also, you know, when I can't remember what part of the brain, but kind of like solidifies in its growth. Mm. It doesn't mean it can't continue growing, but it's like, it's the one responsible for um, essentially what you believe in. You're like cerebral and mm. neurological foundations are kind of set in place and you're going to be who you're going to be. You, yes, we go through drastic changes. I did totally myself, but you kind of develop a sense of who you are more than you ever have before towards the end of your right. 20s. Wow. Yeah, like that core foundation is established. Yeah. I hear that there's also a second Saturn, Saturn return when you're like 50 something, which is why. Yes, it happens like every like 30, 27 years. That is maybe that's why like a bunch of dudes like get a like a midlife crisis. Yeah, like, like go, go my Saturn's it. return. <laughs> Man, my Saturn, I'm gonna go out and buy a Ferrari. I don't know yeah. why I just gave this character a country accent. <laughs> hey, look, dude. <laughs> Mine are Saturn had Saturn return. <laughs> oh my god, dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, Saturn loves sports cars. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, just whenever you're getting your Saturn return, just go out and buy the most expensive car, put it on a credit yep. card. You'll feel there way you better. Go. You feel so good. <laughs> Material things will totally just like fill that void. Oh, <laughs> only, only. That's what capitalism tells us for sure. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> fuck yeah, capitalism. Oh my God. Um, man, do you, do, so was there a pivotal point in your life where you feel like could have been a Saturn return like yeah. around oh, your yeah. 20s yeah yeah uh yeah I mean I um yeah it was right around 
my let's see i was 28 i think is 28 i had you know just like gotten married and like had just kind of done like the house thing and like seemingly these things that kind of like picket fence your life and it's really no surprise to me that right after that i relapsed you know i had a pretty heavy relapse it was a night relapse it didn't continue well no that's not true it was a few months but uh Damn. yeah actually the song asshole is like right around that time that's when i was arrested yeah and all that shit yeah and was i was that like god from a prior like thing you did yeah yeah it was like god. there was a warrant out like for some suspended license or some shit and like god i I mean, I had drugs in the car too, and they like luckily they, they were in like an Altoid can, like, and they just didn't mm. find them. But it was rough. <laughs> it was rough, and it was rough for the people that loved me too. And mm. I felt a, a drastic sense of um, being uneasy and unsettled. And I'm not going to take the position of I'm going to blame it on the stars. Right. You know, we are given the plots that we're given. Um, however, something was not right. And it right. needed to be addressed and it was pretty dramatic. So mm. yeah, I felt it. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that could have been like the nudge of like, well, like life is seemingly like perfect on paper, but there's still some shit I need to work through. You know, um, I feel like the Saturn return, according to what I've read is like a mini personal earthquake in your life. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what happens or whether it's internal or whatever. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of like waiting for the shoe to drop for my, <laughs> like, I feel I mean, you know, we'll see. Sometimes like, I, I feel like, you know, some of that is, has a lot of truth to it for sure. And some of it needs to be taken with a grain of salt. That's totally. different for everybody. Totally. Um, but it can be indicative and reflective of, you know, a, a general state that everyone goes through around their late twenties. Totally. Man. I liked what you said just now about like, I'm not going to blame it on the stars. And I think, I don't know whether, like, I think religion is great um, because it does provide that comfort for people. But obviously there's this other side of it that kind of allows you to be like, allows people to like potentially be complacent and just assign agency to maybe like a higher being um, as an, as an excuse to maybe not uh, be the best person they could be. I don't know. Right. I'm not, and I'm not like blaming, um, but I, sure. I, I guess it's just an observation that I feel like I've, I've made. Um, I well, I feel like, I feel like, no, I, I love that thought because I, I feel like to be the best person you can be religion or not, God exists outside of religion. So to be the best person to be great in your own eyes is to be in, totally honest with yourself and everyone has the general ability to be honest with themselves, but what they find is going to be as unique as their personality. I do believe that every single person on this earth is unique. However, some of the things that make them feel better and myself included are things that aren't necessarily conducive to you actually asking the right questions about yourself. Mm. And I think religion, the, the fault of, of, general organized religion one of them in my opinion is that it causes the person to become complacent with a rhetoric with a program that they can subscribe to and therefore the heavy lifting 
now it's I'm not saying it's like that for every person that feels religious, but yeah. What I did feel is, you know, in Sunday school and things like that, like I felt learning about Noah's Ark via cartoons was not going to bring me closer to what I needed to be closer to. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think as I get older, I see the Bible as like historical or like, or just, I don't know if they're real or not. Um, But like tools, like just like stories that um can be applied you know to your life but they don't you don't necessarily have to take everything in it literally you know yeah Um, i feel like the the fault there sometimes is that it's almost like an allegiance to the word rather than allegiance to the belief that god is larger than the word that man put in yeah interpreted for yeah (laughs) right yeah they say it's like divinely inspired but you know I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like aren't song, wouldn't songs potentially be the same way? Like I truly, yeah. I, not to like, I don't know, diminish the writers of the Bible, but I, yeah, I feel like a lot of things can be divinely inspired. And yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. It It's an allegiance to the word and the literalism of the yes. phrase more than it is an allegiance to the bigger message which is like love your neighbor as yourself and like Mm -hmm. kind of when jesus came to clear up all these like discrepancies that you know um kind of outdated rules and beliefs that were you know talked about in the old testament like probably the leviticus uh you know the clobber verses talking about gay people um well not actually not talking about gay people it was talking about immoral non-consensual relationships and then it was translated to mean gay people in modern day um but yeah so ridiculous but and then others other things are like dietary but anyway like yeah taking words out of the bible quoting them and like applying them to like two thousand years later literally is like i don't know i don't i don't get down with it have you ever uh you ever played the game of telephone for like 10 minutes yeah i know imagine, imagine playing the game of telephone two thousand years. years and then yep. also put in regimes and you know uh political motivations uh you know power hungry people egos all of that involved i mean the irony is i feel like uh, one of my favorite quotes about um I guess it's just about Christianity. It actually came from an atheist uh, from Frederick Nietzsche, which said, mm. he said, uh, I only know one Christian and he died on the cross. The mm. point being, there was one, you know, if you believe that there's one Christ and right. every other thing that man says about him is man saying it about him and interpreting that. Right. And I believe that there's, there's way more. I think Paul said in the, uh, I think it was in Corinthians or Galatians or whatever, right. uh, that it was, uh, that there was, you know, this unseen world that you talk about. And I just feel like there's so much more to the story mm-hmm. and that your access point of that story is not the pages from the words of people that were told to believe were divinely inspired. It's your ability to be divinely inspired to connect to God. Right. That is going to open up what if whatever is like an unseen world. And those things can exist in yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. the point is to do unto others, you know, right? Like right. to be good, to be great, to be to constantly be in a state of spiritual evolution 
and change and to be good to your fellow person and to be good to yourself and to put good into the world. I don't think that you can, you only are able to do that by reading religious texts. Right. And memorizing them. And what's that going to do? I don't like, how do I, why do I need to know like what that Sarah begat Jephosaphine and (laughs) that, you know, Zangwad. Yeah. They're just words. Yeah. I don't even know who those people are. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like growing up Catholic, there was a lot of memorizing and it's like, you know, um, right. I just didn't feel a connection to the words I was memorizing. Like it would have served me better to be like, okay, sit, sit and reflect and think about your life and like, right. Maybe like three things that you feel like you could do better. I don't know. Like that would right. be yeah. a better exercise than like, Hey, learn um, the our father in Spanish. And if you don't have yeah. it memorized by the end of the week, you get an F like, uh, what? Yeah. how is that I'm making you a better, you. how is that making you a better person? Well, okay. I get right. it. You should learn other languages, but like memorizing prayers or like, you know, when the, when the priest gives you like a penance to like sit and, and maybe that is like for Catholics and people that like really practice that, like maybe that is like their version of a mantra, but I guess for right. me, I never connected to it in that way. And that's okay. I think it's, I think as I get older, it's, I'm trying to tell myself all the time that like someone can believe something different than me, completely different than me and also be right. As long as the core message and values behind that belief are like, be a good person at, at its core, you know, like if you're not hurting anybody, like we can both be right in the way we live our lives, whether you you think God is a literal being and I maybe don't, maybe I think it's more personal or like, you know, I feel like I access God when I'm in the zone and, and writing and being honest with myself, like you said, in those moments of reflection and humility. Um, yeah, but I think it it looks different for everyone. And that is something I really wish like our culture would just like accept um, yeah. more and be okay with. Like, um, but yeah, that's, that's why I, 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 agree. I mean, I agree with that fully. Yeah, that's why I'm trying to have these conversations with people that have all types of different beliefs. Um, And because I do think God is a personal experience for everyone and it looks different for everyone. So absolutely. um, Absolutely. Well put. I'm so glad that you're doing these too, Katie. I mean, I think it's fantastic. It's an important topic. Yeah, thanks. It's it's a tough it's a tough conversation to navigate sometimes because obviously there are those really awesome um, things that come from religion and, and churches. And then, you know, there's some churches that are unaffirming and kind of marginalizing and, you know, right. um, right. so, and you kind of have to talk about both, just like you talk about both the light and the dark in your music. Um, that juxtaposition is very important to note, you know? Yes, and absolutely. To look at both so that you see the whole picture and you're not just blinded by like, oh, but the church is really good because it does all this good stuff. It's like, well, no, let's talk about some of the stuff it's done wrong so that we can like make corrections as we go. Yeah, right? yeah. Like you can't. Yeah. Which kind of goes back to the being honest with yourself and having that self-awareness and cultural awareness. But um, man, <laughs> I feel like I just went on a tangent. I'm trying to think if I have any. That's other- great any other questions for you um i don't want to drag this out like too long because i know okay yeah 
I, another song I wanted to talk about, and this is a good, I feel like song to end on because it okay. ends your, it ends your record. It's oh a yeah. Song. Hallelujah. Anyway, I love mm. it. It's so like redemptive and it's like this, it's the perfect last song on shape and destroy because it's like, man, things are fucked up, but you know, you just say, you say hallelujah anyway, and you, and there's something holy in that pain, in that suffering. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear like the ins- inspiration behind that and what that means to you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the song that like, regardless of anything for anyone, um, remove craft, even remove art from it. It's the most important song I've ever written for myself. Mm. And I wanted to end the record because it's hallelujah. I think is one of the most beautiful words, um, Mm. in language. I, I know it means praise God. Right. And in my understanding of what God is, that appealable source, I give everything that I am and what I have. And when it's all said and done, I owe it to that source, in my opinion, Um, because it permeates everything. It's everything that I've felt joy in my life. It's the relief from suffering. It's my family. It's my sense of love. It's my ability to play music and make a living doing so. And so what I say at the end is like the most important line to me I've ever written, which is even when I go, if I see my soul sink below and down to the flames, hallelujah anyway, Mm. no matter what, even if I'm a piece of shit and and I I can't go to hell. Right. And I go to hell. I'm going to go down saying, praise God. That's like, no one can take that. No one can take that from your spirit. If you believe that. And it's, it's also saying like, I'm trying my best, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In a beautiful, (laughs) very harmonized, perfect way. Yeah. Um, Man, that's rad. I love that. Um, Yeah. Thank you, Rustin. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy that we finally got to dive into this territory. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We dove. We dove deep. We dove and we pulled it out from the deep. I I always love talking to you. Yeah, I know. I love talking to you, too. And I'm it it was cool to to, yeah, talk about spirituality with you because you're just someone I've always admired in that way. I can sense um especially now this um the you in 2018 and the you now are different rustins you know very different very yeah yeah it's a different rustin for sure but um thanks for sharing everything about kind of your views and i know it'll be helpful for people so we should hang soon (laughs) we will hang soon anything for you anytime you know that yeah and i won't invite like a million people this time (laughs) I mean, honestly, that was so tight. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. But it was yeah. so fucking fun. It was like the first hang that I had after getting the vaccine. So I was like, all right, just everybody come on. It was on. so fun. Good. No, no, I'm it was so fun. fun. We'll do our coffee. We'll, we got we we'll yeah. plenty we of got things time. to do. Yeah, we got time. All right, Rusty. Love you, dude. <laughs> Love you, <laughs> Katie. You. Thank you so much. Bye. Yeah, talk soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you found this conversation both helpful and inspiring.
If you or anyone you love is struggling with addiction or any other type of mental illness, please check out To Write Love on Her Arms, a nonprofit organization that provides resources like an online support group and a directory to free local meetings in your area. In this life, we are constantly experiencing the juxtaposition of light and dark, of good and evil, of fear and love. And we don't have all the answers, but we do have each other to love and to lean on. And that's enough to make anyone say, hallelujah, anyway. If they carry me Covering Catholic is presented by Osiris Media, hosted and produced by Katie Pruitt, edited by Justin Thomas, mixed and mastered by Guy Fell and Revoice Media, theme music by Katie Pruitt, distributed by Concord, artwork by Sammy Wiedeberg. This episode features original music by Rustin Kelly. Osiris.